Yes, it has rolled around again, folks, Saturday morning. And welcome to Inside the Outdoors for this Saturday. Hope uh, you and yours are having a start of a great weekend. Hope you had a chance to get out maybe last week and... More importantly, maybe you're shooting for this week that you're going to get a chance to uh, sample our great outdoors. Got a big show coming up today. Uh, we're going to talk to folks from the uh, Western Hunt- Hunting Expo. Uh, that's obviously uh, one of the big things. That's a couple of weeks on the horizon. I uh, got a story. The boat show will be coming up a week from now. But we've got a story that will deal with boating for this summer here in the state. Huge story. And uh, kind of mentioned a little bit about it last week, dealing with the quagga mussel. And uh, we'll talk to you about that as well. Uh, we'll We'll talk to uh, Gary Winterton and George Summer about ice fishing, but we're going to get started and talk about some places that maybe requires a little bit of extra effort for ice fishing, but uh, can certainly be worth it. And to join us to tell us about that is Ryan Mosley, who's the fisheries chief for over at Flaming Gorge for the Division of Wildlife Resources. Ryan, how you doing this morning? Good. How you doing, Steve? Thanks for having me on. Uh, listen, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. First of all, uh, just before we went on the air, we talked a little bit about the ice conditions there. It's another decent ice year, but uh, these warmer temperatures, I'm sure, are deteriorating it a little bit. But you've got fishable ice, right? We do. We have fishable ice from a pipeline north. Um, there could also be some ice further south than that in the backs of bays and coves. Um, but from pipeline north, we have... Really good ice in that pipeline and we'll draw area. It's going to be just over 10 inches, up by buckboard, over 12. And then, of course, up by fire hole, and that ice exceeding 14, 16 inches. So okay. Got really good ice. Got a little bit of a problem with your phone signal here, so we'll hopefully uh, things will hang on during the interview. Uh, it's good to know you can get out on the ISO. So let's talk about the places on the gorge this time of year where <laughs> folks might want to come up there if they are and save them some time and effort. There's some areas where you definitely want to target uh, for safe ice and also uh, the fact that the fish are biting there. So let's talk about some of the areas, especially if they're coming out of the uh, Wasatch Front. You know, some of the areas that have been really good for like trout as of late have been in the Animal Draw area, uh, right around Brinegar Ferry Crossing, which used to be called Holmes Crossing, and then also up around Buckboard. Anglers are probably having the most success just targeting lake trout in 50 to 80 feet of water. Um, flats and points just real close to the main channel itself, those main channel breaks. Um, a lot of the fish are caught on the bottom or close to the bottom, but you also really need a fish finder to to watch and, and just look for suspended fish because it's not uncommon to catch lake trout suspended in the water column. Even last week I caught some as shallow as 20 feet. Uh, it's been really good fishing, hit or miss depending on stormy weather, but really good fishing overall um, this ice fishing season. Burbit, we just finished up the Burbit Bash. That was really successful as well. Uh, 5,565 Burbit were caught in just two <laughs> nights. The winning team brought in 252 Burbit. Wow. Uh, overall success just seemed a lot higher on, a, on an individual angler basis. Uh, a lot of those anglers were having success just using cast techniques, you know, glow-in-the-dark jigs, fish close to the bottom, targeting water depths between 10 and 40 feet. But I think the success also um, increased because anglers were actually utilizing different parts of the reservoir. They were spreading themselves out on that large ice sheet that we have this year and getting away from one another so they're not just concentrating all their efforts in in small localized areas. So 
the vervet fishing has been really good as well. And then finally, um, rainbow trout and cutthroat trout, uh, they don't get mentioned all that much through the ice, but they're definitely a really good species to target. You can have a lot of fun, catch a lot of really nice fish. Um, both species are really doing well on the reservoir right now, and anglers can have most success just targeting a little bit shallower water, um, shallow rocky points. Uh, if, the guy, if they have mixed vegetation, that's even better. Uh, 10 to 20 feet using small jigs and spoons and vibrant colors, typically mealworm, nightcrawler, gulp minnows, or gulp maggots. Um, things of that nature. Boy, there's a lot to unpack there. Let's uh, let's go back to the burbot and talk a little <laughs> bit about that. Uh, for anybody who's ever eaten burbot, I mean, if you're going by looks, you'd probably never fish for walleye either. But the burbot is not maybe the most um, pleasing to look at, but it's like a lot of us in life. Please don't judge us by our appearance, right? We are pretty nice when you get to know us. And burbot is one of those species that tastes awful good if you can just get past the ugly appearance. Exactly. You know, it's the uh, only freshwater member of the cod family, and uh, the white flat skin off. They're relatively easy to clean. A lot of people like to cook them in chowders, fry them, fish tacos, a lot of different recipes out there. Pork man's lobster is one of the more popular recipes. People actually come up, boil them in salt water, and then dip them in garlic butter, much like you would lobster. Uh, there's a lot of ways to cook them, and they're really good to eat. And of course, they're unlimited in the reservoir, so you can go home with a lot of a lot of food. Yeah, absolutely. And and I guess when we're talking about the lake trout, I mean, if you hang one of the big fish, that's an awful lot of fun in the ice. But even the pups are a lot of fun, and I imagine that most of the lake trout that are being caught are probably of the pup variety, just because of the sheer numbers in the lake right now. Right. So most people are catching a lot of lake four inches or less um some some of the guys that go out and put in a lot of time effort are really nice like this year uh some of the people that are still utilizing the boats are going out and trolling surface or jigging for like uh, catching some of those but the pup or small lake trout fishing has been really good this year um some some of my days have just been exceptional uh where you really get into a lot of fish and a lot of a lot of hooks and a lot of confidence, and it's hard to beat that. Ryan, we're having a bunch of problems with the phone signal, so I'll tell you what, we're going to let you go this morning. We certainly appreciate you uh, taking the time to join us, and, and it's always worth the drive when you got decent ice at the gorge because, well, I guess that kind of lets us know, <laughs> right, we did have some problems there. Uh, but it is worth that drive to, to uh, head up to Flaming Gorge. There's no question about it because uh, the variety is, number one, and two, the size of the fish. There's always a chance of hanging one of those big fish, whether it's one of those big rainbows or whether it's one of the big lakers. The bourbon are growing to be nice size as well. I mean, there's a, a good opportunity for not only numbers of fish, but also for varieties of fish as well. If you're looking for a good meal, don't don't pass up the burbot, really, seriously. Uh, maybe go online, check out some of the YouTube videos. If you're going to fish for burbot at night is a great way to do it, and uh, you'll wind up with a pretty nice meal to put on the table as well. So we thank Ryan for the time that he spent with us there and uh, apologize for the problems, but you got to remember, you're in the middle of nowhere, usually with Flaming Gorge, but it is worth the drive, and the ice is definitely right now in a, uh, a state that you can use it. Just make sure that you're careful. Again, the 
areas of the gorge. You've got springs in certain areas, and you've got warming in the afternoons there, especially lately. Those temperatures have been in the 30s and 40s, and it doesn't take long for ice to deteriorate, especially on the uh, right, right against the shore as the heat builds up from the shore later in the day. So if you're going out, you might want to look at it, taking a board with you, have some kind of uh, ability to get from the ice back to the bank when you come off in the afternoon, or as I say, fish in the evening hours, the nighttime hours, great laker fishing at night, and obviously burbot fishing. That's one of the times of day that you really want to target that as well. So uh, we thanks uh, thanks again to Ryan for joining us, Ryan Mosley and the guys at the uh, DWR. But the Gorge is one of those winter ice fishing places that you don't want to overlook if you've got a little extra time, because it does take, obviously, some time to get up there, but it is one that can definitely pay off. Check out the Division of Wildlife Resources website, uh, Utah, uh, to wildlife dot, wildlife.utah.gov. I don't know why I have to uh, always have problems with that, but I guess I'm not the only one. We had the uh, we had the interview last week where even the DWR guys have a hard time putting the wildlife before the rest of it. So wildlife.utah.gov, check out their website, and they'll let you know how the gorge is doing and also around the rest of the state where things are heating up. Listen, we'll step aside. We'll take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk to George, and we'll talk to Gary. And still ahead in the show, we'll be talking to the folks from the um, uh, Western Con- conservation uh, issues that are going on. Actually, the Western Conservation, uh, I used to just call it Rocky Mountain uh, Expo, but it's the Western Conservation and uh, Deer Expo. We'll be talking to them. And also, we've got a big story on quagga mussel that's coming up. And uh, this thing could be huge, folks. So stick around. We'll tell you all about it as we continue in just a few moments with Inside the Outdoors on this Saturday. I know she must be Inside the Outdoors on this Saturday morning. And welcome, everybody. Well, first segment, we went northeast. We talked about the ice fishing up at Flaming Gorge. So how about we go the opposite way as we welcome George Summer in. And we're going to talk about going south and getting some warmer temperatures. No ice down there. And we'll talk about Lake Powell because this is the time of year, George, when Lake Powell typically has been good. And a lot of folks go down there to fish striper. Um, But some changing situations. And let's talk about it. What's happening down there? And what have you heard? Well, so uh, I've got some good reports of, of striper action. Uh, people are catching them on jigs, and they're shallower than normal. So, you know, normally at this time of year, I'd go down there and I'd be fishing in 50 feet to 75 feet. And, and uh, the reports I got, they were in 30 to 35 feet, and they're all good fish. Wow. And and this time of year, um, you know, typically I've gone down this time of year. There have been some boils, but jig fishing, especially with a, a white and a bucktail slab jig, uh, have been good. I mean, the, the striper fishing, I know it's contingent somewhat on the uh, on the on the prey situation. You've got threadfin shad down there. There's also gizzard shad in there. So between the two, you know, you, you've got to kind of figure out what's happening. And some of those are cyclical as far as the year is concerned for prey but if you get a decent shad year and then you're able to find them chances are you're going to find some pretty healthy stripers 
Exactly. And, and you know, this year, apparently the shad numbers are off the charts from, from the people I'm talking to. They're telling me that there's shad everywhere. Um, and, you know, the, I think the gizzard shad have kind of changed the dynamic a little bit because normally at this time of year, when it was just thread fins, you'd be fishing up to 90 feet deep mm-hmm. because those fish would go deep to get under way under that thermocline. Well, now with gizzard chat, um, I think fish are shallower, which is why we're seeing those those stripers being caught at shallower depths than normal. Now, we should tell people the difference between a threadfin shad and a gizzard shad. For years, we only had the one prey base. We did, and, and you know, typically they get four or five inches. Um, I, you know, I, I've seen a couple to six inches, but most of the time they were about three inches. Gizzard chat, on the other hand, they're so prolific and they're they're everywhere, and they'll get up to 18 inches to 20 inches yeah. for an adult, <laughs> um, and then they'll spawn, if conditions are right, they'll spawn two or three times, and so you've got always got little gizzard shad everywhere. And the gizzard shad, I mean, if you catch one, and I've, I've had gizzard shad actually take a, uh, a bait, and, I mean, you'll get a fight out of them. They are uh, like a game fish. You get one that's 15, 16 inches, and uh, you wonder what you got on the end. You pull this fish up, and you're looking at it and go, what the heck is that? Well, that's, that's a gizzard shad. Exactly. I've done the same thing. You know, I've caught it by accident, and I'm like, you know, bring it up. And it's, man, it's fighting kind of different. Mm-hmm. You get it up, and you're like, I caught a gizzard shad? Really? <laughs> You know, and, and, you know, I think that gizzard chat, especially for the walleye, have been really good for Lake Powell. Um, it, it's presented some challenges with, with stripers, but it sounds like, you know, I, I've been targeting them differently um, or incorrectly is the way I'd say it. Um, and, you know, next time I go down there, I'm probably going to fish a little shallower. Yeah. Well, th- this time of year, certainly for people who want to get out of the cold and fish soft water instead of hard water, that's a great time to do it. And you wind up with, uh, obviously, with the striper. It's one of the great game fish that we have. It's so funny because I remember back to uh, when Wayne Gustavuson wanted to put them in to Lake Powell. It was such a radical thing. There were a lot of folks who didn't think they would ever reproduce in the lake because they are a saltwater fish, the striped bass. And then they got to the point where they went through that threadfin shad population for prey and they got real skinny and then for years there was the discussion of what do you put in there do you put alewives in no because they'll die and stink up the shoreline you had all the federal regulations they were worried about fish getting into the colorado river and they finally settled after lots and lots of lobbying from a, a lot of different people certainly the biologists they finally put in those uh, the gizzard shad and we got a, a prey base that is big enough that the uh, fish in lake Powell can use them and actually put on weight because they get something substantive to eat. Well, and and you know, it's funny you mentioned the gizzard chat. They were actually an accident um, because we we were going to put rainbow smelt in. Yeah. And then uh, they said no, and we talked about gizzard chat, and they said no. Well, the Fish and Wildlife Service cleaned out a pond somewhere up uh, off the San Juan (laughs) Arm, and accidentally, they just cleaned it out and put those fish in Lake Powell. Well, there were gizzard chad in there, and then uh, and then they got kind of dispersed um, throughout the lake, and now we have gizzard chad from top to bottom, and it's been um, beneficial. You know, we'll see yes. how how it interacts with the the quagga mussels that are in there. But um, like you said, the fish are fat and healthy when they convert to those gizzard chad. Yeah, and it's uh, the fishing this year. I think is going to be really really good. 
And I'll tell you, folks, I mentioned it last week and at the top of the show. In the next segment, I've got something to tell you about quagga mussels that may change the way we look at them and the way we think about them. And it's an exciting, exciting story as well. So I'll keep you in suspense for a little while longer about that. But you're right. That's still one of the dynamics that we have to deal with in that lake. But I really think the gizzard shad has been one of those things that uh, a fortuitous accident, let's call it that, shall we, and leave it. I don't know how much there was any kind of... um, I don't want to ascribe any motives to anybody, but let's put it this way. It worked out pretty well so far. It, yes, and I would agree with you as well. You know, it's, it's a, um, a beneficial thing. And, I, you know, the walleye fishing at Lake Powell is the, the reason there's no limit because there are so many walleye yeah. there. And it's because of the gizzard chad. Yeah, they provide a great food uh, source for them because when you had only had the threadfin shad and you had you had you know you had largemouth bass originally working on them, and you had some northerns coming out of the river system up there, the dirty devil and such, um, but you had really just the the bass were the uh, main predator for them, and then we added smallmouth in there, uh, and then of course the walleye are in there as well. It put an awful lot of pressure on that one small forage base, the threadfin shad. And so we really needed something else to stop them from uh, cannibalizing themselves. And, and I think that gizzard shad, especially, as you point out, for the walleye, has been just a godsend, literally. Yes. Yep. And so, you know, I think I'm not going to wait that long to go down to Lake Powell. But I, <laughs> I know when people get down there, you know, during the May, June time of, uh, of the year, it's going to be awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with you completely. Now, if if folks don't want to make that drive, and if they're looking for uh, fishing up here up north, and we, as I said, we've kind of gone through that situation where we talked about the uh, fishing over at Flaming Gorge, some of the other areas still close to home, uh, we still have decent ice on them. I mean, these temperatures, we have, have had a very mild winter, but, uh, but the, the ice has been pretty good for the most part in most of the usual haunts. It has, you know, and, and people should always use caution because, you know, we have cold weather first of the week, warm weather now. Um, so, you know, take that plank like we talked about before, but there's still good ice on Rockport, Echo, East Canyon. All of the close ones have, have ice on them, but it's the edges are probably going to melt in the afternoon. So you better have a plank or prepare to get wet. Yeah, one one of the disappointments to me has been the fact that Utah Lake hasn't frozen uh, this this year. I mean, it might have for a day or so. It, it, it's a little sketchy in places, but some of the marinas, you know, might, you might have had enough that you, if you're the daring sort, you might want to have gotten on the ice just right against the shore or against those docks that are in there. But uh, that's one of those areas with the white bass that have always produced so well and been so close, and yet this year, because because of the temperatures, we really haven't had that. Yeah, and you know, I've seen some some pictures of people that have gone when when the ice is in the harbor, yeah. gone out and they've done really good on perch and white bass and bluegill. Uh, but it's so spotty, you know. There was I think last week or the week before, a bunch of kids went through the ice. Yes, they weren't even fishing. Right, and so it's it's always a you know test it uh, Utah Lake. You got to test it thoroughly um, before you go out on there. Um, or you could wind up like those kids did. Yeah, and and in the Saratoga Springs area, if you go to that Saratoga Boat Harbor, they have rerouted that warm water into it now, and you don't get the freezing in that channel that, uh, you know, for years ago was the old boat harbor there, and we could always fish that channel from Saratoga Mm -hmm. 
in the harbor all the way out to the to the lake. It would freeze, and it was great fishing for, especially for bluegill in there. But when they've rerouted that around the swimming pool and everything else, they've channeled some of that warm that warm water into the area, and now it doesn't get frozen. And it really, that fishery is gone now as far as the ice. Now, it certainly helps in the spring, in the summer, when that warm water is coming in. But for right now, that's just no longer an ice fishing area. So... Well, George, we appreciate the visit as always, my friend, and um, you know I hope you get a chance to get out this week and test it out. But this, this weather has been conducive, at least uh, for the most part, to getting people out. And we'll just find out. And of course, there's still the rivers. If they want to fish the rivers, that Provo, especially the middle Provo, has been producing some fish as well. So uh, don't yep. give up on the moving water, right? Exactly. And I'm not going to either. <laughs> All right. We'll talk to you next Saturday, George. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. Ah, yes, it is that time again. Mr. Hooked on Utah, Gary Winterton, joins us on this Saturday morning. And we are not talking fishing. We're going to talk a little bit of snowmobiling because we talked a couple of weeks ago, maybe it was last week, about how the rain in the valley and snow in the mountains and how the snowmobile guys are loving it. We had to be careful, obviously, because of the avalanche situation. But we've got so much good snowmobiling here in the state, and that's what your show is tonight, right? You're going to showcase some of the great snowmobiling close to home. Yeah, we're going to take you down to San Pete County, and we're going to hit the south end of the Skyline Drive. We're going to begin going up Ephraim Canyon. And I'll tell you what, Steve, you hit the nail on the head. Man, we've got some really good snow. And, you know, February is traditionally a month where we add to the snowpack. So I'm very excited for what I hope to come, hope to come will be, you know, another couple feet, 10, 12 feet of snowpack for, for our mountains because, boy, Right now, it looks awesome in the mountains, and the snow is just spectacular. Well, Skyline Drive is one of those great vistas, too. Not only is it great riding, great snow, you've got some meadows, you've got the ability to get up on top where you can see forever, but just the quality of snow in San Pete County has always been good. Yeah, it's phenomenal. And I think a lot of people miss out on it. Um, And I'll tell you, we did something new. You know, San Pete County's worked very hard to, to really develop I think one of the best trail systems for UTVs, and now they're really working on developing groomed trail systems for snowmobilers. And so the state parks has uh, a couple of beautiful grooming machines. And much like you see up on the strawberry side, um, down uh, in Manta in that area, they are grooming these main roads that go way up onto the skyline for trail riders. So you don't need to be a powder expert. You can get your powder machine or your trail machine and ride these beautifully groomed trails all the way to the top of the skyline and kind of venture off into some of the meadows and and really have an awesome time up there that's what's so cool about it is that um, they continue to invest in this area of the state and trying to really make it a multifaceted um, adventure playground spring summer winter or fall but the the groomed trails, Steve, were just excellent. Well, the easy thing is the access as well. It's not a very long drive anywhere from the Wasatch Front. And then the ability, once you do get there, the offloading is easy. The trails, as you said, are groomed. And you've got so many different choices of the kind of terrain you want to ride. Yeah. You know, they also uh, last year invested in paving up that E from Canyon aways and then making a great big parking area for your trucks and trailers so that you've got a really nice place to turn around, offload the machines, and then get up in the mountains. And so it, it was a lot of fun, Steve. I'll tell you what, we, 
we had the opportunity to ride a few machines that were so powerful. Every year I'm blown away by the capability of, of modern snow machines. And, you know, I'm kind of a once or twice a year guy on the sleds. So it's fun because I'm learning it each time we go. But, wow, these machines from the get-go will just pull the skis way off the ground. And you can ride a wheelie going up the hill, not just level <laughs> ground, but... But climbing the mountains—it's—it's it's, uh, breathtaking and exciting. It's just so much fun. Yeah, we've come a long way since the first time I was on a snow machine in 1964—the Mallard Snow Wing. It's—it's uh, it's a little bit different, and you're going to get a chance to see those tonight on Gary's show. So uh, we'll look forward to it. It's 11:05, right on Channel Two. After talking sports, it's an easy find tonight. And um, taking a little step aside from fishing, we had the fishing last week at. Uh, Fish Lake, and this week it's going to be the snowmobiling, just one of the great areas around our state of Utah that has terrific snowmobiling. So, Gary, we'll check you out tonight. We appreciate it, and, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks a ton, you guys. We'll see you tonight, and uh, we've got a great adventure for you coming next week. All right, that sounds good. That's Gary Winterton with Hooked on Utah, and, and it is true. I mean, if you have not been down to San Pete County, if you're a snowmobiler, a lot of folks head towards the Ogden area, uh, and that's always a, the Monte Cristo. It's wonderful riding up there, uh, but if you have not gone south, just check it out. Try try heading down a little bit down south and uh, some of the some of the areas on the San, uh, in San Pete County and on the Skyline Trail. It's one of those, I think once you've had a chance to do it and see the difference, plus you don't get the crowds. Uh, for some reason, and maybe it's because we draw from uh, Logan area and the Ogden area as well as the Salt Lake area, that northern Utah seems to to draw quite a few people at the trailheads. You don't get so many down in uh, San Pete County, but you do get those groomed trails down there, and you do miles and miles and miles of riding. Now, Skyline Drive, yeah, there's a lot of folks who know about it, and especially on a weekend, you will fight other machines. But if you uh, get a chance to get out during the week, especially, uh, I would strongly advise you check out the new trail system down there and see how those UTV and ATV trails have translated into great snowmobiling now for the folks who like the sleds in the winter. Hey, we're going to step aside. When we come back, we will uh, be talking about a big event coming up in a couple of weeks here, and then we'll also be talking about the quagga mussel and the uh, algae bloom situation. Some exciting news on the horizon here in the state of Utah with those problems. Stick around. segment of the show for this Saturday morning. All right, I'll get the name straight. I had problems with it. It's the Western Hunting Conservation Expo. I don't know why I have a hard time with that. Maybe because it's more than three words, and especially on a Saturday morning, I'm not capable of getting the words straight. But anyway, it's the Western Hunting and Conservation Expo. It's coming up in a couple of weeks from now. And John Baer joins us. John, who uh, not only works with the expo, but is also the auctioneer, and joins us. Really, I think this is about the fourth or fifth year that we've had John on, or maybe more, John. But welcome back to the show. Nice to talk to you again. Good to be with you, Steve. Thanks for having me. So let's see. It's the 13th, correct? It will open on the Thursday, which would have been just a little It's just a little under two weeks from now. I believe that's right. Yep. It uh, seems to creep up on us faster and faster <laughs> every year. But, yeah, it opens uh, that Thursday and uh, runs Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then until about 
four o'clock on Sunday, I believe. Yeah, all right. So let's talk about it because uh, I mean it's really a, a great opportunity for people. You don't have to be hardcore to want to come see everything you've got. I mean, you've got everything. If if a guy wants to book a trip, he can. If a guy wants to put in for one of the great uh, drawings for one of the great tags, he can or she can. The gals doesn't have to just be guys. If they want to look at the outfitters uh, that are available all over the country, you'll have an opportunity for that as well. Uh, for somebody who just wants to take a look at some of the great taxidermied heads that are available as well. I mean, there really is something for anybody who's interested in the outdoors. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the, you know, that's the fun part about it is you can bring your family down. There's, you know, there's stuff for the kids to do. There's, uh, you know, they got the archery tournament going on that, you know, people shoot in. There's all kinds of taxidermy work. There's, I mean, there's boot companies. There's electric bike companies. There's, I mean, anything you can think of that you would be in need of hunting, fishing, anything like that. I mean, you're going to, yeah, you, it's, you're not going to have a hard time, you know, <laughs> staying busy and occupied and spending all your money. So, Well, and that's part of the growth that you've had because, I mean, it did start out as much more of a niche market. Uh, I don't know how many years you've been doing it now, but, I mean, it really was kind of geared towards the hardcore hunter and the very start of things. But now it's expanded and it's widened out that really anybody who, who has a family who likes the outdoors, it doesn't matter what your pursuit is. You don't have to be a hunter to enjoy this thing. It's just an example of how you've broadened the scope of the whole show. Yeah, if you, if, if you like to spend time outside, there's something of this show that, uh, that you'll enjoy. You know, and, and uh, like I mentioned before, it's a great opportunity to get your kids, you know, introduced to the outdoors, to taxidermy work, to, you know, all over the world. We have outfitters from all over the world, you know, Africa, Europe, South America, and uh, so anything that, uh, you know, you can imagine, we have there. And it's it's a lot of fun to see people bring their families bring their kids and uh, walk around the little kids stand there with the big eyes looking at those <laughs> giant bucks just like we do you know at 45 years old we still stand and google those big deer and it's fun to see kids uh you know get a look at that and see what's out there and uh and uh, it, it's just a lot of fun. It's my favorite week of the year. It is amazing to see some of those taxidermied heads because I don't care how much time you spend in the outdoors, as an adult even, you can spend a lot of time uh, on the mountain and still never get a look at those animals on the hoof. So to get a chance to see them all together in one place it really is an eye-opener, literally, because you look at those and say, wow. And and a lot of those are public land animals. That's the other thing is everybody thinks you've got to be on private land to get a look at that kind of an animal on the hoof. And you don't. And many of those have been taken from public lands. You know, that's you're exactly right. I'm glad you bring that up. There's a lot of uh, a lot of those big animals that, uh, you know, the deer and the, the elk, a lot of the bears from Utah, especially our bison. You know, some some of them are draw. You know, obviously the bison, the once in a lifetime are draw. But a lot of those giant deer are you know local kids that uh, have went up and lived on the mountain every afternoon all summer <laughs> with those deer and figured them out and got it done. And uh, there is some great stories to hear if you walk around that hall and look at some of that taxidermy work. And uh, you know that taxidermy is art. It's it's amazing to see how good some guys are at that stuff. And, uh, you know, it's just, I could walk around all day and just look at those animals. It's amazing. 
Let's talk about how folks get tickets for that because, again, we're, we're talking to them almost two, two weeks ahead of time, which is great because a lot of times people say to me, you know, you, you have these guys on on Saturday morning and the show is, is that day and I can't plan that. For, I don't get a chance to go because I haven't planned for it. Well, folks, we're giving you the chance. It's almost two weeks from now, so you can rearrange the time on your schedule to do it. Uh, but really, tickets are not expensive and you get to, an opportunity to have a chance to see the whole show even if you can't get it all in in a day, correct? Oh, yeah. Uh, you can get on uh, huntexpo.com. Uh, you can go into like Sportsman's Warehouse or Cabela's and they'll have discount coupons, uh, you know, and you can get half off coupons, you know, so I think 10 or 15 bucks you can get into the show and I think the kids are quite a bit less than that even. So, you know, some of these big national shows are, I mean, people are paying 100, 120 bucks a day to go in and, uh, Geez, for that much at our show, you can get the whole family in and buy them lunch. So <laughs> that's right. Well, and and you know, if you don't get it all in on the, it begins on the Thursday, the thirteenth, and goes through the Sunday. If you don't get it all in in one day, come back. There's nothing to stop you from coming in multiple days. Maybe you take a certain area. Maybe you want to look at all the uh, outfitters that are out of the country for one day, and then you want to come find the Western outfitters another day, and maybe then you want to look at fishing for a day, or new product, things of that nature. You you can split it up and uh, and take a look on multiple trips to the show. Absolutely. You know, when we have an app, the Hunt Expo app, you can uh, get on, and uh, it'll help you sort through, find the outfitters you want to look at. It'll tell you what guest speakers we have. We have a great list of uh, people in the industry, the outdoor industry, of all kinds that are going to be doing seminars all weekend. So, you know, if you want to... You want to have a, you know, take an hour and learn about calling coyotes or hunting elk or fly fishing or about guns and optics or booking a trip in Alaska. I mean, I have friends that are doing all these different kinds of seminars, uh, you know, so you can kind of learn from the experts, learn from those that are really, really in tune with what's going on out there. Uh, and, you know, it just it just goes on and on we have we have a big auction friday during the day we have a uh, a big auction friday night we have a big giveaway at our fur full curl society uh meeting saturday where we're going to give away a bunch of sheep tags we have another big auction saturday night we have the secretary of the interior that's going to speak saturday night I mean, it's pretty exciting. There's a lot going on. Well, John, it's always good to talk to you, my friend. And, uh, again, we've given folks enough notice. It doesn't go until the 13th of February. Oh, we need to tell them where it is, right? That's right. Salt Palace, right downtown. That's so right. Come on down to the Salt Palace. You can buy your tickets there, but I would encourage you. you got enough time. Uh, get online. Look them up, huntexpo.com, or head into Cabela's, your local sportsman's warehouse, any of the sporting goods stores in town will uh will have discount tickets and uh you know come on down and see us all right john thanks again for joining us good to talk to you my friend you too buddy we'll see you there you bet all right, let's pivot. I want to talk about what I mentioned at the top of the show and talked about last week, too, and that is that, uh, first of all, the boat show is coming up in a, in uh, just a week from now, actually. And, of course, boating is one of the huge pursuits here in this state, but it has been dampened a little bit over the course of the years by the rise of a couple of things. Quagga mussels, of course, uh, not only at Lake Powell, but in other lakes now. It looks like we've got a handle on them every place but Lake Powell in the state of Utah. But also the algae bloom, the problems that we've had at Utah 
Lake and other lakes, where in the summer we're getting you know the nutrients into the water, creating algae, and we've got problems with not only uh, pets in the water, but also uh, humans in terms of water skiing and everything. I mean, it's certainly changed our boating. So it is appropriate that we talk a little bit about uh, something new on the horizon that will deal with both of these things. And to give us more on that, we bring Michael Swenson in uh, to join, to uh, talk to us about it. And Michael, uh, this is a huge, huge story. It, it, it really is, Steve. And when you think about the, and I'm sure you've had guests on before, and it's something we're going to hear a lot more about here in Utah. When you think about the significant economic impacts that not only algae blooms, but even more particularly quagga mussel uh, outbreak in Utah waterways has on the state. It's profound. Even if you're not a boater or a personal watercraft user, uh, even if you don't get out on the water, the economic impacts to the state uh, is substantial. Those little those little critters will get in and, and clog up infrastructure that fuel some of our uh, our our power plants and our our water uh, water treatment facilities and things that get water to our populations in Utah and in other states. And and, and the impact is, I mean, it's not an exaggeration to say left unchecked would be hundreds of millions of dollars to the taxpayers of the state of Utah that would have to remedy the situation. So it's been a huge issue for the Division of Wildlife Resources now for a number of years. Um, I've got a a little bit that I can share with you, and some of it will will come out in the coming weeks and we'll discuss a little more, but I was in a legislative hearing and listened to the the state and legislators talk about what they're doing with quagga. And, and, you know, basically, as folks know, they're spraying boats off. They're asking you to empty ballast tanks. They're asking you to let your boats be dry between moving between waterways and so forth. And that the idea there is that it would prevent the larva from the quagga mussel from being introduced into other water and, and spreading out of control. And I, you know, the thought occurred to me as I'm listening to this this testimony, uh, this hearing, how silly this is. It's like it's like a little boy putting his finger in the dike of a dam and hoping the whole thing's not going to go. You know, I mean, yeah, those are those are great measures, but are we really? doing anything in this day and age surely surely there has to be a technology or something that we could do that would be more proactive to you know eradicate or control uh, quagga mussel outbreak well lo and behold at the end of this hearing this was a couple months ago a company from utah of all places steps up to the microphone and says hey you guys, this is great, but we have a technology that can not only not only prevent the spread, but we can contain it. And if we get on it early enough, we can kill it. Uh, and my ears picked up immediately. And so the legislators had a discussion with this Utah company, and I stepped outside the hearing room after they left and began discussing with them what, what it is they can do. Um, it is a technology they've been uh, deploying in other places. Brazil is one of those places, and, and with uh, other mussel species related to quagga all over the world with great success. It's not new. The exciting news, I think, that we'd really like to come out with is this company is now discussing with the state of Utah opportunities to step in and really stop the spread in Lake Powell. We're working with legislators right now to see if there's a way, and with the Division of Wildlife Resources and Department of Natural Resources, what programs we might be able to create and find some a little bit of funding uh, for such an effort. So uh, I guess the news that we hope to discuss in a, in a very soon uh, one of your broadcasts is, is more detail on, guys, there's a, 
there's a potential solution out there for Quagga. So that's 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 going to be some huge news, and I'm really excited about it, Steve. Yeah, I mean that is crazy. If you're able to contain it as one thing without having to have the boats, uh, you know, steam clean basically, but more importantly, if you can reverse it, uh, Powell obviously. I mean, we've got Lake Mead. In fact, all those Colorado River chain lakes, the Great Lakes, they've had problems with them in yep. the intakes yep. for just uh, culinary water systems, and that's, that's something right. that could come here as well. So if there's an opportunity to to reverse it, I mean, you know, it's not like cold fusion. It's something that, you know, that's right. already been proven to work in elsewhere in the world. The fact that we're just barely getting on it now here in the state of Utah is a little bit discouraging. But if it is able to be done, wow, what a what a wonderful technology. Yeah, it's, it is exciting. You think about the cost of bringing a pipeline out of Lake Powell. I know there's that big project going on right now to bring water to central Utah and other places. That's all well and good, but if that thing gets full of quagga muscle, yeah. then that is just, I mean, talk about a ginormous waste of money. But So there's a, there's some solution there. Uh, and, you know, to not shift gears too fast, but the algae issue has been an issue for boaters on Utah Lake now for a number of summers. And, and other uh, lakes. Been alle- yeah, and other lakes in Utah. It seems to pop up in early and late summer. Um, uh, 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 the same company ha- is working with, there's actually two or three companies now that are doing pilot projects on Utah Lake. Um, they are funded, so the funding is in place, and they're going to begin those projects this summer. And I don't want to steal, I don't want to steal their thunder because I'd like them to come on and kind of toot their own horn about what they've been able to do and what they're going to do. But the good news is um, that is uh, the Division of Water Quality is working actively with these companies, and they're kind of letting them compete to see which companies will be able to be that will produce the best results to prevent uh, and eliminate algae blooms in Utah Lake and other Utah lakes to make it safer for boats and pets and folks that are swimming and so forth. And and it's along the same lines, you know, instead of being sort of reactionary, how do we be proactive and how do we use human human brains and technology that's out there? Uh, and the exci- I think the exciting thing is uh, at least one of the companies is is Utah-based, which I'm always a, a big fan of supporting our local Utah companies, uh, in making it so that, you know, Linden Boat Harbor, for instance, will be a, a safe place for folks this summer and we don't have to we don't have to worry about people getting sick from this, this darn algae bums. It's amazing to me how much of a problem it has become, and I'm sure it's because of all the homes that have sprung up around it. I mean, the communities like Saratoga Springs and uh, Pelican Point and things of that nature, and then you add the farming that's going on around it. I mean, uh, we've probably already yeah. had some, some algae issues, but not to the extent, certainly, and I've been in this state 50 years, but now yeah, it's certainly grown in, uh, you know, exponentially. The, the lake has changed, the depth of the lake has changed, and so temperatures change, and you've got a lot of nutrient load in the sediment as we've farmed and irrigated for decades. Those nutrients build up in the sediment. You get, you know, you get carp and so forth stirring things up and just creating ideal conditions for out of control and, and frankly, quite toxic, dangerous algae blooms, both to humans and, and animals. So, um, but, but, you know, I, I got to say, the agricultural community and, and, and the greater, I guess you might call them the water conservation community across the state, they recognize the problem. They're coming together. They're doing good things. And yeah. uh, and so I, I, I'm, I'm optimistic that, you know, in five or ten years, we're not going to be talking about these. In fact, less than that. We're not going to be talking about toxic algae blooms in Utah Lake. So that was why I was excited to let you know. I appreciate you letting your listeners know that there are some very proactive things doing, being done by the state and by some Utah companies uh, that will make our water just better for everybody. Even if you're not out there playing on that water, you're going to benefit from this. So, If they can solve the algae problem and the quagga problem here in the state of Utah, 
everyone benefits, not just the recreationists. And so right. uh, what a what a terrific thing to look forward to. And I still pray for the day when we get rid of all the uh, red tape that we have to go through to dredge out Utah Lake, deepen it, oh, no get kidding. it back to a clear body of water and have that be one of the recreation gems that we could have it here in the state of Utah, especially with the communities now that have grown up around the lake. Boy, yeah. property values. So from a tax standpoint, I mean, you name it, there are so many ripple effects, no pun intended, that would ben- <laughs> that would benefit the state of Utah by cleaning up that lake, getting the shoreline taken care of, going through the federal red tape and eliminating that and then eliminating the water issues with the algae being probably the number one. That lake could be absolutely spectacular. You and I have commiserated many times on the, the, the insane federal regulations across all sorts of natural resource management areas and the, the harm and that it costs not only to the actual natural environment, but, but to us as humans and to our local economy. So you're singing my song, but uh, you know what? <laughs> Out of key, One but still. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're good. One step at a time. We're making a little bit of progress, so it's not all doom and gloom. There's some good things happening, Steve. Hey, Michael, I appreciate you stopping by to tell us about it, and I'm going to hold you to that in the next couple of weeks. We're going to get the folks okay. on to talk about this in more detail and find out what is being done, what can be done, and what the outlook is. But it, it sure sounds like it's a positive situation for all concerned. Appreciate it, Steve. All right. Thanks again, Michael Swenson. And that is going to just wind up the show for today. So we'll end on that high note right here. Can you imagine if we didn't worry about algae blooms and quagga in this state anymore? And if it, of course, spread to other states around the country that we did not have to deal with it? How great would be our boating and our recreation and just the water issues completely? I'll tell you, that's exciting. And what a great way to end. I want to thank Ryan for joining us from the DWR from up at Flaming Gorge. Phone problems at all. I want to thank Gary and George, as always. And I uh, want to thank uh, John Bear with the Western Conservation and Hunting Expo. Coming up in a couple of weeks. Next week, the boat show, remember. And uh, finally, thanks to Michael for joining us as well. Most importantly, thanks to you for being with us for this hour on Saturday mornings. I'll be along next Saturday again between 8 and 9 right here on 97.5 The Zone for a look at Inside the Outdoors. Till then, as always, my friends, have a great week, and you have been warned. I want to see a kiss, I want to see a kiss,